welcome to a very special episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles, featuring a very special guest. Joining us today to talk about past, present, and future of Xenozoic Tales is the award-winning creator of the series, Mark Schultz. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Thanks for having me, Darren, Ruth. I'm looking forward to this. We've been so excited ever since we had the opportunity to meet you at Baltimore and have that fantastic conversation we had that afternoon. And then you just immediately offered to do this interview with us. And I know it's been on our end more than anything else, just the opportunity to find some time to get it scheduled with the holidays and travel and such. But I'm so happy to have this chance now. This is exciting for us. Well, it's, I know a good deal when I see it, and uh, I always use the promotion, especially now that I'm working on a new Cenozoic story. But I, I so much appreciate the, the job you two have been doing in uh, analyzing, discussing, and you know, just generally creating a, an online presence for Cenozoic Tales. I'm, I'm very eager to help contribute to that. Well, fantastic. Thank you. It excites us so much. It's such a rich world that you created, and it's a series that we've been following since the very beginning. We were challenging ourselves to remember. I think the first issue we picked up was issue three when it was new on the shelf, and I remember how long it took us to find back issues of one and two, but we've been fans for a long time. It's a rich world, and we're loving going through the series again and in-depth, and you know, we want to give it a nice analysis because it is such a great series, and I'm really happy to know that you think we're doing an admirable job. <laughs> well, I do, and I, I appreciate everything you're saying. And I, I think I mentioned to, this to you when we, 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 we met each other in Baltimore, but it's also a, a service for me. I, it's been so long since I wrote those stories, and I need to go back and read them all now that I'm uh, working on the new, the new uh, story. But it's a time situation, and it's, it's so great to have the podcast to listen to and remind myself of what I wrote, which has been lost in many parts in the dim recesses of my musty mind, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a good resource for me. Oh, that's that's great to hear. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's nice to think that maybe you're listening to us talking about an issue while you're working on the new material. <laughs> sort of, it's sort of like uh, what used to be Cliff Notes or something for me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited, as I'm sure every single Xenozoic fan is, about the fact that you're working on new material. So I know that's what we would love to hear you talk about. Give us any hints or insights or pieces of knowledge you'd like to share. I know it's still a ways off, and certainly we're not going to rush you because we know you work in your own time, and the fact is, is you turn out such wonderful product, it's always worth waiting for. Yes, worth the wait. But anything you'd like to share, we'd love to hear. I would be nothing without the patience of my readers. (laughs) Right now, it's clocking in at 64 pages. It might be a little longer than that, but it's going to be graphic, short graphic novel size story. And I decided I need to do something that I felt was, again, it's been 20 years since the last Cenozoic story and needed to do a story that I could, that was long enough that would stand on its own and, and something that I could, I could see getting done in a quote unquote reasonable amount of time, reasonable for me being a couple years. So it's going to be a standalone story and it's going to take place while Jack and Hannah are still together in the city in the sea. So if you know the Cenozoic issues, it would be probably somewhere between issue six and issue nine, the events in, in this new story take place. And my goal is if I can accomplish this in a reasonable amount of time and not go into the poorhouse doing it, I'm going to get on to next 
finishing up the story line that I left hanging at the end of issue number 14, the last issue of Cenozoic Tales. And, and that's going to take 100 or maybe 120 pages to finish up. And that seemed like just a little too much to attend to right now. I need to get my uh, sea legs under me first with a shorter story. So if this 60-some page story works out well, I'll be getting on to finishing up what was left hanging at the end of Cenozoic 14. Oh, that's so exciting to hear. And it's just perfect timing. I mean, we had no idea until you just said that, but it's perfect timing as far as when we're recording this because we just covered issue seven. Seven. Yes, and so uh, you're saying the story falls in between issues six and nine, so it's interesting to think that it's the new story is going to fall right in the area of what we're reading right now. Yeah, it's probably, I haven't really figured out the timeline in detail, but it's probably between eight and nine. That would be my guess at this time, if you, if you had to shoehorn it in there someplace. <laughs> so I'll be thinking about that when I'm reading okay. those, those issues coming up. Yeah, well, issue eight will be the next one we read. I'll be listening to all your uh, your notes and comments on it to make sure that it does fit in there. <laughs> that the, the continuity is at least uh, fairly accurate. Well, it's so exciting to be getting that new story, and I'm excited about it being, you know, a story that's sort of set in the middle of what you did before because it's such a rich world. It's great to have anything at any point in time elaborated on and expanded some. But then it also makes me think that, you know, you're envisioning what would come next after issue 14. So what brought Xenozoic back to you at this point in time that you wanted to give us a new story? Well, it's it's just a timing situation. I've wanted to do this for a long, long time, for at least 10 years. I've been formulating where I want to go with Xenozoic, both in finishing the storyline I left hanging and and as well as adding new stories. And it's just a situation right now, timing-wise, as far as my schedule goes and what my financial situation is. I have a little bit of a financial cushion now that I can afford to take the time to devote to a new Xenozoic story. Working with the type of publishing agreements that I, I feel comfortable working with, I don't take any kind of upfront money. So it's all all the work that I put into this is on spec. And, and I know I'll see it back, but of course, that doesn't help with the monthly bills. Mm-hmm. So knock on wood, between other projects I've done, including Storms at Sea, I, my wife and I have been able to sock away a little bit. We have that little window of opportunity now to, to invest in a, in a story that will not pay off immediately, but, you know, will pay off down the line. Right. That's great to hear. Yeah, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of being a freelance artist. And I can imagine, just like you're saying, the way you plan out your stories, it's the same way, like you said, you have to plan out the time that you have to work on this, too. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. You've got to schedule things down the road, parts of a puzzle fitting it together. Well, you mentioned Storms at Sea as well, which I know we absolutely loved. We got it in hardback when it came out in the first edition. And, of course, you just recently did a deluxe edition that we got in on the Kickstarter for, which is even more beautiful because your artwork is even larger in it. Yeah, it's, Thank it's you. extraordinary. But that's such a amazing book. And I like the way it fits into its own mythos, and yet also it sort of seems to be a little bit tied to Xenozoic Tales. What are your thoughts? Did you think it sort of ties in there a little bit, or is it a completely separate story? No, it ties in a lot with Xenozoic. It it started with this idea of the bigger world within which Xenozoic, this future history within which Xenozoic exists. I, there's Easter eggs in there. If you, if you read it carefully and look at 
some of the uh, details in the artwork, there are Easter eggs in there that relate to Xenozoic and the uh, the ancestry of, let's say this, the ancestry of uh, characters in Xenozoic. Yeah, so, right. Storms at Sea is kind of an overview, or within the story is an overview of the uh, this universe within which Xenozoic is a specific time period. Well, I'm happy to know we didn't just imagine that, because certainly as we were reading it, we were just uh, from the beginning loving it. But at the same time, it just reached out to us and kept saying, oh, yes, yes, I get this. I understand what it's saying. I'm glad that that came through. I didn't want it to be obvious, and I didn't want it to be so tied to Xenozoic that if you don't know Xenozoic, it would be lost to you. You know, I wanted this to reach out as a story in itself. But for those people who are in the know, who do know something about the Xenozoic series, this would it would kind of ring some bells. I thought it could stand alone. I was thinking about that as I was reading it. It could stand alone, or if you know the Xenozoic tales, it enhances the experience for me. I'm just saying that was that was the goal. So I'm 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 really happy to hear that worked for you. Excellent. I know in reading it as well, it reminded us again of the conversation we had with you in Baltimore. We were talking during that period of time about all of us having this shared love of black and white film and film noir and Mm -hmm. movies like Ray Harryhausen, because the whole time as I'm reading that, both the story and the art, it's like a film noir movie and a Ray Harryhausen adventure (laughs) movie intertwined. It's just perfect. Well, there's all these things, exactly what you're talking about. Things I grew up loving, yeah. Things that I saw at an impressionable age that are still with me. And as I get older, I, you know, I try to figure out what what are the elements. Why do I keep going back to certain elements? And you know, essentially, they are things that I saw at the right time as a as a kid. That they made that indelible impression on me. They they became part of I don't know your psyche that uh, you both find attractive and it's kind of the way you communicate other things through use of these these types of genres and the the visual and storytelling storytelling elements uh, within these these stories and and you hope what you can do or at least I hope what I can do is not just regurgitate the stories that I saw before and the in the type of the context they were before but to take the elements and to move them forward a little bit and to use them in new contexts or, or to communicate more, more contemporary concerns or, or interests. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, it was very successful because while it hints at, you know, all those genres, just like you were saying, and yet at the same time where you can say, well, this is this makes me think of this or think of, mm-hmm. of something else. At the same time, I had no idea where it was going, even as I had was familiar with those genres, but also reading Xenozoic Tales, I didn't know where it was going to go. So it was so exciting all the way through. So it certainly is something original in and of itself and definitely does move forward as anyone who's read it knows. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a a wonky story. It's if you want to call the plot just wraps around this big middle section where it's a look at this this cryptic world that Xenozoic uh, exists within. And I've been nervous since I started and envisioned it that it wasn't going to play well for a lot of people because there is a lot of exposition and a lot of the story within the story within the story type of deal. Some people seem to like, and I'm glad that you do. Other people, it just falls flat for them. And I understand that. But it was an experiment on my part. I had certain things I wanted to communicate and certain visual things I wanted to use as well as certain story elements. And this is the way it played out. And 
yeah, I, I'm not sure it's entirely successful, but <laughs> it uh, it was a step forward for me. I know I would like to see more stories laid out in the same style as the book. I really appreciated having one full page of art and then the opposite page having all of the text. That That was a really good experience for me. And, you know, the reason I did that was I wanted something that was very visual as well as the textual content. I wanted them to be equal weights. And I just felt that there was no way this wouldn't be a lot faster to do it with this balance of text and illustration. There's no way that would be slower than doing a comic format. I thought this would be actually, I thought it would be so much faster. And it turned out, no, it wasn't faster. If oh, any, okay. It, it took me probably longer than doing it in a comic book type of format. So live and learn. But I really liked it as well. And I probably will go back to that in the future. Uh, I, I do have some story ideas that I just feel would work better in that type of illustration and text format uh, as opposed to in a, a, a comics format. And it doesn't surprise me at all to hear you say it ended up taking longer because each one of those illustrations are so rich and so in-depth. But, you know, I, I would love to see them at a gallery all on display because I could spend hours there just looking at them. They're beautiful. And, and it makes me think, though, I know that book and you've you've published a couple of art books recently called Carbon. And I like that style that you're talking and it evokes that sort of classic black and white photography, black and white film yes. uh, genre so much. I love it. So tell us a little bit about your love of that style of art, and is that going to influence the new Xenozoic Tales art? Hmm. That's a good question. I suppose it will, just because I spent so much time using that technique and doing the Storms at Sea illustrations. You know, it's an old uh, illustration technique from the early 20th centuries uh, before doing color in, in periodicals was cost-effective. Black and white was just predominantly the type of illustration that was being done. And the guy whose technique I'm copying, uh, Frederick Ruger, was mm -hmm. kind of the master of this, using this carbon pencil over a watercolor underlay to do these very rich tonal pieces. So I was pulling technically from that era, uh, you know, probably from the beginning of the 20th century through the 30s. This was this was popular. And I'm glad you noted the, the film angle because in the, the ratio of the pieces, as well as the, my attempts at doing a cinematographic type of lighting effect, that was all pulled through from the beautiful black and white cinematographers who did the films up through the 40s and 50s before color became predominant. So, yeah, yeah, that was pulling both from my love of classic illustration and my love of uh, great black and white films, trying to bring that all together in those pieces. I thought it was very effective, and I really do admire the lighting and the shading, and there's just so much there to look at. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. engaging art. And <laughs> you were talking about how, uh, for some readers, it might not have been exactly the type of story or the, told the way they wanted. But for us, I know, as we were reading through it, it was like every little element of the story or every few pages, you're thinking, wow, that could have been an entire novel in and of itself because it's such a rich story. Again, you're so good at world building, and you built so much of a world there, and there's so many little snippets of all of these adventures that happen over time that I just, as I read through it, it just flew by because it's so rich and filled with adventure. 
Well, I hope that I have time. There are a lot of stories within these different aspects uh, that I would like to to develop into stories. You know, maybe text pieces illustrated, maybe comic stories. I don't know if I'll ever have the time to do all that. But but yeah, that was kind of the idea. Well, that's great. Uh, time is uh, all of our enemy, right? It's uh, like we all have so many things we want to do. Yeah, yeah, and you got to kind of pick and choose what makes the most sense sometimes. Well, that's all fantastic. And just coming back to Xenozoic, and I said, I know you said that it probably would influence maybe some of the way the art looks. I know on the Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and other stories Facebook page, you share little snippets of the progress of the new Xenozoic Tales book, and they're just so exciting uh, to see. And I just really want to thank you for sharing those because that's really nice that you're giving us these little tidbits so far in advance of the book. So thank you for sharing those. Well, thanks. I, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm still trying to learn to use the Internet to promote myself better. So, <laughs> Every, it, so far, I'm just using Facebook, and I should be getting on to things like Instagram, I think, from what I hear. But that's good. I'm glad that people are paying attention to these things. It takes me so long to do anything. If I can get something out there to keep people, keep it in the in their mind that this is happening, it's that's a good thing. I know we appreciate it, and you're right. It, handling the social media is a job in and of itself, and you already have another job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's true. It's a to use it properly. It takes quite a bit of time. I agree, and I, we have been using Instagram some recently ourselves, which it is a really nice format for sharing visuals and images, uh, I agree. But at the same time, as more and more of them crop up, it's harder to know which ones to spend your time on. I, I think, yeah, that's probably the problem. And, and that's my feeling. As soon as I get on Instagram, it'll be like the death knell of Instagram. <laughs> but people that I know that use it, younger people that use it, have been trying to convince me that I should get on board show me uh, exponentially how many more hits you can get out of Instagram than other online formats. So it makes sense. It's just it's just uh, wrapping my head around doing that. And I know we've seen that some too. And it's nice that Instagram and Facebook are connected because they're set up now where you can, yeah. what you share on Instagram can immediately be shared on Facebook. Yeah. And you know, and it's, it's so easy for me now on Facebook because as you know, my, our mutual friend, Fred Perry, takes care of that for me. I just let him know what I want to put up there, and he, he takes care of it. So he makes it easy for me. I'm a little yeah. spoiled. He does an amazing job with it. Yeah, he's great. He's uh, Again, I never probably would have gotten onto Facebook at all in any aspect of the Internet if it wasn't for he and Donna, he and his wife, convincing me that this was a good experiment to try. Well, fans have benefited from it, so I'm glad. And I have too. So, yeah, it worked out well. I had a question I wanted to ask. Like going back to the origin of Xenozoic Tales, I wonder if the idea for the stories came to you all at once or if it was something that developed slowly over time. Yeah, that was, boy, that it, slowly over time. <laughs> I, think I, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I was trying to remember. I was doing, at the time, this would have been the early 1980s, I had kind of moved away from comics. I'd grown up loving comics. I'd kind of moved away from them maybe five, ten years before then. It just wasn't much being done that interests me. But then an independent comic store opened in my area where I was living at the time. And this was my first introduction to the alternative comic scene. You know, the, the alternative distribution market had started allowing comic stores to spring up. And all of a sudden I was seeing 
these companies like Pacific and Eclipse, Kitchen Sink, Fanta Graphics that I hadn't had access to before. And I was very excited again about comics, the, the comics I was seeing. And I started daydreaming. I, I was working both as a security guard at a college campus and I was doing uh, illustration for local uh, advertising companies and uh, small press stuff locally. And I really wasn't enjoying any of it, oh. but, I, but it was a job. It was paying the bills. But I would, I would daydream, you know, if I had my own comic book, what would I do with it? And over time, it morphed into Xenozoic Tales. But it was, it was a gradual process over several years, and it was fed by my interest in dinosaurs and Edgar Rice Burroughs mm-hmm. and Robert E. Howard and movies like Hatari, which had influenced me so much as a kid with the, the cars and the animals. Yeah, and it, and it just kind of morphed over time into what became Xenozoic Tales. But it was, I'm guessing, a three, four-year period before I finally sat down when I turned 30. I had kind of had one of those, what the hell am I doing with my life moments? And uh, I said, well, I've always wanted to try comics. And even though I don't know anything about how they're actually produced, I didn't really have any contact with the actual world of fandom or, or the world of actual production of comics. But I... I had read enough about how you do a comic that I, uh, I was able to put together samples and mail it around of the initial Xenozoic story. And lucky for me, Kitchen Sink was interested in it and it gave me a chance and it, and it worked out and it changed the direction of my life. But yeah, I didn't have uh, I didn't have that one like blinding flash of light. This is Xenozoic. It was it was a slow like everything I do is a slow, laborious process. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was curious. I appreciate hearing about it. It was lucky for us, too, not just lucky for you. <laughs> we all got to enjoy those wonderful stories. Well, it's interesting. You were talking there about not having you know, the exposure to how they worked or the fandom of them. You certainly came in and had amazing success with it. What was your reaction to that? I mean, that comic, you know, especially for an independent comic, was so very successful, and it spun off in so many other ways that it had to be exciting to you. What What was it like for you? Yeah, it was exciting. The first couple of years, you know, I had no idea if there would be anyone interested in this type of story or my artwork at all, had not having any direct contact. So it was all for me. Every time there was some sort of validation, you know, the interest of a publisher a good response from fandom. It was all kind of like, I didn't know what to expect till it happened. So obviously I was very happy that there, there was a place in the market for me. And then when uh, it became something marketable beyond comics and Kitchen Sink did a great job, Dennis Kitchen did a great job of finding different ways of merchandising and reusing my stories. Cause I, I produced them so slowly. He just found ways of using what had already been done to, create a, a greater interest and some income and when it exploded into the uh, more of a mainstream market with the television shows and the accompanying merchandising and toys and stuff it was it, it happened so relatively quickly it was a whirlwind and and unfortunately it became taking care of the business of that the administration of that really slowed down my production of Xenozoic stories even further but it was a big financial boon for us. It was a limited financial boon, but it allowed my wife and I to put a great down payment on a house and start a retirement fund for ourselves. And it, and it kind of set up the, the freedom I had going forward to be a little choosier about what I would do in the comic book field uh, instead of having to always be scrambling for work. 
but like you just said, you know, it gave you the opportunity to be more selective. Yeah. And you certainly, uh, you know, you had your own creator-owned title that you worked on during that period of time. And then following Xenozoic Tales, you worked on a lot of other properties for other companies. What was it like making that transition? And what did you find fulfilling in telling new stories for these other properties that had been created by others? Yeah. Well, you know, it was a challenge. It was a learning experience. Like you said, up to that point, up till like 90, the mid 90s, I was pretty much exclusively all my experience was working on my own, my own uh, property for a, a small, a relatively small publisher that specialized in dealing with creator owned properties. So for me, it was a, it was a learning experience, which is an important learning experience going to work first doing work with Dark Horse and then DC. And some work with Marvel, but mostly Dark Horse and DC, and and working in that sandbox with someone else's toys. I think the most important thing is that I realized from the beginning that yeah, these I, these are someone else's toys. This wasn't my property I was working with, so I was I understood that, and it, it was never a problem for me to work within those boundaries and understand that I didn't get the final decision on things. This was. This was someone else's concern, and I had I had to work with them, which is a great learning experience. And it depends on who you're working with or what property you're working with. Some uh, some were easier than others, but uh, I think that was important for me. It really helped me hone my writing abilities to to work within. I don't want to say constrictions, but it, they kind of are constrictions. Yeah, you know, within boundaries that I didn't have before. Well, and then to invert that question. Hearing that perspective from you on on working with other people's properties, what was it like having in the animated television series and the comics that were done without you by Tops? What was it like seeing other creators playing in your sandbox with your toys, for instance? Oh boy, that's 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 tough. I don't want to be negative here. Oh no, 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 no. Because these people that were writing these stories were doing a great job, but. I'm just, this is, Xenozoic is my baby, and I'm so yeah. close to it that I don't give a fair shake to other people. <laughs> so I, I'm always, I never know what to say. To be honest with you, I wasn't satisfied with them because, and I don't blame them. They weren't in my head. They did they can't see what the important details and elements are to me that make Xenozoic what it is for me. But having said that, there, I, great job. You know, Roy Thomas was involved, and my God, what an honor to work with Roy Thomas. Right. I grew up loving Roy Thomas's work, and especially how he, how well he handled adapting Robert E. Howard stories for Marvel. That isn't an easy job, and he did a great job of that. So it was, it was, it was kind of like, wow, I'm working with Roy Thomas on these. But again, they're just not what I would have done with Xenozoic or directions I would have gone into. So so those Tops books, for me, are it's it's hard to focus on them. It's because my attachment to my ideas for Xenozoic, it's hard for me to wrap my head around uh, other people's takes on it. I think that's very understandable. Hey, I was going to say, you didn't sound at all negative. I, I know anyone who knows you, who's heard you talk or read interviews, you are your own harshest critic. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sweet talking it either. I'm not. I'm not trying to sugarcoat. I think they really were well written stories and well done uh, comics, and and I'm very grateful that Tops would want to do a version of my book. But yeah, it's just hard. It's just hard to. You know, I don't know. You saw the comments that George Lucas was making about the new Star Wars films. Yes, and he's kind of cranky about it. And I'm thinking, 
man, you made four mil, four billion dollars on that deal. Let it go. But I absolutely do get that no matter what the other films are, they're not what was in his head. You know, they're not how he would have done it. So I kind of get it. <laughs> That's a very timely comparison. <laughs> well, coming back to your Xenozoic Tales and the new Xenozoic Tales that we're all so excited about, I know that while you're working on these stories, you're taking a break from conventions. And what's what's your take on conventions? What do you enjoy about conventions, and what do you think you're going to miss taking a couple of years off from them? Yeah, well, I hope it's not a couple of years. I hope, you know, it just, yeah, it depends on when I feel this is under my belt, that I got control of this Xenozoic story. Then I'll let myself get out there, start promoting it. Yeah, conventions, they're a mixed bag. I've been doing them since 1988, I think, 89 you know, as a professional, not just as a visitor, but as a professional. And man, the travel and the connections in airports and just uh, the whole living out of a hotel. I I generally do five or six a year, I think. It's just, I'm just at a point where I need a break from it. And it's at a good time too, because I need to concentrate on my Xenozoic story. But what I'm going to miss is the people. You know, I work in relative isolation, which I choose to do. But it's nice. The conventions are great because you get out there and you actually see people and and you get feedback on what you're doing and you get to just hang out and be a social animal for a change. I am going to miss that. And for all I know, I'm going to get halfway through this year and say, I can't take it anymore. I got to get out there and see someone, see someone from this world, I should say, from the, the comic world and break down and go do something. But for right now, I'm going to try to stick to uh, stick to my guns and stay chained to the drawing table. Well, do you have any snow in your area? It's snowing right now. <laughs> that may be good comic book creation weather. <laughs> and just thinking, you know, we, we got sidetracked there talking a little bit about weather, but that makes me think about environmental issues, which are certainly forefront in Xenozoic Tales and Storms at Sea. Is that a just a personal conviction that you have, or does that just fit nicely in these stories in particular? No, that's a that's an that's a personal interest in I guess conviction would be the word. I've always been interested in the sciences, especially the biological sciences, since I was a kid. In fact, till I had to take high school chemistry, I kind of thought I might go into the sciences instead of the arts. But having to take high school chemistry, which involves mathematics, <laughs> that, <laughs> that that clearly showed my path in life. But I, I remain very interested in, I, in, in sciences, and I like to try to shoehorn a little bit of information, a scientific or a science oh, background into my stories, you know, without becoming hopefully pedantic about it. But yeah, Ruth, you'd asked earlier about how Xenozoic came about, and I told you all the elements of previous stories and movies and stuff that went into my formulation of the of the storyline, but the, the last element that kind of made it something that I really wanted to do that really would allow me to maintain a long-range interest in these stories was adding that element of man's relationship with his environment, you know, what the consequences are and what the different options might be. That was the, uh, that was the final element that fell into place that really made me uh, invest in the story. And that's something I appreciate about the stories is they're thought provoking. It makes you think about what we're doing today and what the future will be. And your characters of Jack and Hannah are just perfect to comment on that because they're two sides of the same coin. They have a very different 
outlook and approach in some ways, and yet they have a lot of the same sentiments and a lot of the same determination. So I think that gives you the opportunity to explore those questions very well with those two characters. Well, another thing I'm interested in, another storytelling element I'm interested in is male-female relationships. And uh, I wanted Zenozoic to have a male and female leads that were equal weight. And I wanted to flip the traditional notion that the man is the rational science end and the woman is the kind of more of a, a faith-based element in the stories. So I, I flipped that and I, you know, I'm happy I did that. I think that's worked out pretty well. It makes it, I think, more interesting. And, you know, it's these are traditional elements, but you play around with them a little bit. You try to do it a little differently than it's been done before. Ruth and I both like strong female characters, and I know you know Ruth as a female has a very different outlook on it than I do, but for me, it's just like you're saying, it's very important that you get both voices in a story to make the story more compelling and more three-dimensional, so I know I appreciate that too. And, and that's a, a big element in the story I'm working on now, the, the new Xenozoic story. There's a, there's a third character, main character in this one who's female as well. And I'm trying to, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, as you mentioned, Darren, we both come from, of course, a male perspective. And I'm trying to make these female characters, Hannah and, and the other character, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure my way through them to make it an honest presentation of these people. But, you know, I'm always second guessing, well, is that still my, <laughs> is that my take that's not necessarily going to be viewed the same way by a female reader? You know, it's. You don't want to tie yourself up either. I mean, it's 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 still it's an adventure story. But but I yeah, that's important. These are important elements. We're living in a time where we can move forward with these type of things, I think. And there are considerations out there that uh, you do want to reflect in your story. Yes, I'm so excited to hear about that. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to give me a, a real hard nosed clear-eyed appraisal of this when you see it. I will be happy to. <laughs> I'll read any drafts you send my way. <laughs> well, well, we'll do our... At some point, I might take advantage of that. Uh, oh, wow. get to a point where it's enough that you can uh, tell what the story is. Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah, we, we would definitely do that. We At the same time, I, I know that we would do our best to be as objective as possible, but we, we might be looking at it through uh, starry eyes uh, because we love the story so much. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad, but yeah, I, I, would push you, I would push you to try to put yourself in a frame of mind where anything, all the little things that you may push aside that bother you about it or something, you know, you, you uh, give full reign to bringing up those things and looking at those elements. That would be a great challenge. <laughs> we'll, we'll accept it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, again, I will I will take you up on that offer for sure. That sounds great to me. We will certainly take you up on that offer. Well, I think, Mark, that sort of covered the things that we had thought of, but you know, this doesn't have to be the only time that we have the opportunity to do this. As you get closer to the publication of the book, we'd love to have you on to talk about it again. As I said, this is great promotion for me. This is this reaches out because I, I do turn out work so seldom. This is important for me to, to be able to have some sort of a voice here. So, yeah, I would love to continue doing it whenever you see fit. So I know you mentioned your Facebook page. So we just want to, again, we mention it most episodes, encourage everyone to go out there on Facebook and look at the Xenozoic Tales, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales Facebook page. You'll get little snippets of the new book that's in progress and get a chance to keep up with Mark. And 
if Mark, you happen to show up, uh, decide you need to get out of the house and go to a convention, I'm sure that you'll post it there on Facebook, so we'll know. Yes, uh, yes, we will. I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been wonderful for you to give this much time to us, Mark, and so much support from the very beginning. The first moment we met you, you've been wonderful. Doesn't surprise me at all. I think that comes through in your work, but it's been really amazing to us how opening and inviting you've been. Well, you know, again, that's mutual. It's I, if this is something that is good for both sides here, it's that's what it should be, and I think it is. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thanks, thank you. Ruth, Darren. This has been fun. We want to thank Mark Schultz for taking time out of his busy schedule for that interview. That was very generous of him. We know that, like us, there are many fans who are excited about the new Xenozoic Tales book that he is creating, and it was great to hear him talk about it. Be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz, Xenozoic Tales, and other stories for all of the latest official news and information. It's a great way to show your support of the new material Mark is creating. And thanks to all of you for taking time to listen. We hope you'll join us next time when we'll be getting back to the basics and talking about another Xenozoic Tales story and sharing your feedback. Feel free to contact us at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network, where you'll find all of the episodes of our podcast, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell. On YouTube, you'll get the regular audio feed of the podcast, along with a picture of the cover of the issue we're discussing in that episode. We hope you'll visit and subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. Hey!